Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us again on the PCICS podcast, the official podcast of the Pediatric Cardiac Intensive Care Society. My name is Monica Mafla, and I'm a nurse practitioner at Lucille Packard Children's Hospital, Stanford. I'm also a member of the PCICS podcast committee. Today, I have the opportunity to speak with Dr. Sushma Reddy from Lucille Packard Children's Hospital, Stanford. Thank you so much, Dr. Reddy, for joining me. Thanks, Monica. Pleasure to be here. Dr. Reddy, could you please tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing? Thanks. My group has been focusing for a while on the uh, right ventricle, which appears to be uniquely at risk in children with congenital heart disease, such as those with tetralogy of Fallot, those with single ventricle, those with pulmonary hypertension. And these patients have a significant hemodynamic burden throughout their life, such that by the time they're in their third and fourth decade of life, they're all predisposed, or a significant number are predisposed to right heart failure. Yet standard heart failure therapy doesn't work in these patients, and also the mechanisms underlying RV failure are not really known. Our group has therefore focused on trying to understand how oxidative stress can damage the powerhouses of the heart, which are the cardiac mitochondria, which can then predispose the heart to heart failure. Specifically talking about mitochondria, these are the fuel sources of the heart. They generate all the energy that we need for standard contractile function, for relaxation, for all the activities of the heart. And without energy, the heart cannot function. We have identified that damage to the membrane of the mitochondria, which is called lipid peroxidation, can further damage the mitochondria and prevent energy formation. So we proceeded to evaluate, does this occur in patients with congenital heart disease? What are the mechanisms leading to this problem? And what are the consequences of this problem? Wow, that's some great work you're doing. We started off by asking ourselves, what kind of oxidative stress are our patients exposed to? And we were able to obtain myocardial tissue from children from the time of cardiac surgery, particularly those with tetralogy of Fallot. And indeed, we found that they all have significant oxidative stress, which seems to worsen with the severity of hypertrophy and seems to worsen even further as they develop heart failure. This was quite interesting since this is what is seen in aging, in ischemia reperfusion injury in adults, and this is universally detrimental to heart function. And here we are seeing it in three-year-olds, 10-year-olds. So we realized that this must have important consequences. After having evaluated the presence of oxidative stress, our next goal was, does this have any functional consequence? And we were able to isolate mitochondria from the tissue obtained from patients and in a high-resolution manner assess the energy production of cardiac mitochondria. And very interestingly, we find that 
when children have moderate ventricular hypertrophy, they are able to nicely increase their energy generation, thereby supporting the increased demands of the cell. But as hypertrophy progresses, as the duration of hypertrophy increases, we find that the mitochondria are no longer able to sustain this function, and energy generation begins to fall and further drops with heart failure. So we're now seeing an association between increased oxidative stress and decreased energy production by the cardiac mitochondria. In addition, we were able to use electron microscopy and show that the mitochondria do seem to have some structural damage, again, worsening with the severity of hypertrophy. With all of this, this is the phenotype in children, but can we actually prove that the oxidative stress, particularly lipid peroxidation, is actually causing this injury? So we move toward using a cell model, using cardiomyocytes, which are the main contractile cells of the heart, and showed that by adding oxidant stress to these cells, we were indeed able to decrease energy production and damage mitochondria, both the membrane as well as complexes and enzymes. And this is particularly exciting because we're now opening the doors for new therapeutic targets to try and preserve mitochondrial function. Excellent. You might have mentioned this already, but if you could explain a little less scientifically about how you can prove what is causing the damage to the mitochondria. There are many things that can damage the mitochondria. We're specifically looking at a pressure-loaded right ventricle. So is it the pressure overload stress? Is it cellular hypoxia, which could be triggering the damage. What we are hypothesizing is that all of these stressors, pressure overload, cellular hypoxia, increase the demands of the cell, as a result of which the mitochondria needs to function at a higher level to make more energy. The end products of energy generation are toxic products, and all of these can cause oxidant stress. The mitochondria at baseline has a wonderful capacity to be able to mop up all, the, all of this oxidant stress, but when the production increases, it no longer has that ability, and that oxidant stress then begins to damage the mitochondria. Excellent. Thank you for that explanation. Where do you see your study going in the future? What are the next steps, and can you discuss some of the potential clinical implications that are going to follow? Sure. This is quite exciting because we're still in an era where we're focusing on the renin-angiotensin system, the adrenergic system, as our mainstay of heart failure therapy. And we've shown in multiple studies that these agents don't seem to work for children with RV failure with congenital heart disease, for children or for adults. So here we've identified a novel pathway that can potentially serve as a therapeutic target. Our first step is to take this into animal studies where we are able to induce pressure overload. We have identified two drugs which are currently in clinical trials for neurodegenerative disorders and for primary mitochondriopathies, which we will first test in 
animal studies as proof of concept for whether decreasing lipid peroxidation can improve mitochondrial function and thereby sustain cardiac function, delaying the onset of heart failure. And we're very excited to be able to move forward with this work. What is your timeline looking like? When do you think this will reach the target patient population? It's an excellent question and always difficult to answer. Provided our animal studies are promising, then we already have drugs which have been proven to be safe in children since they're already in clinical trials. So we would be very excited to be able to translate this to the patient in the next one to two years as proof of concept. The first patient population I'd like to target would be the patient population where oxidative stress seems to be acute and maximum. And this would be at the time of cardiopulmonary bypass and during ischemia and for the first 24 hours following surgery where they're at significant risk for low cardiac output syndrome, acute kidney injury. There has been work using these drugs in animals to say that it decreases acute kidney injury. So we're hopeful that using these medications during cardiopulmonary bypass and for the first 24 hours postoperatively will decrease oxidant stress, will decrease capillary leak, will decrease fluid resuscitation, thereby maintaining a good blood pressure, decreasing kidney injury, as well as decreasing time to extubation. Those are big goals, but those are all our goals. Yeah, those are great. Do you see this ever being advanced beyond your target population and per se into the population of other oxidative stress like you mentioned earlier with chronic hypoxia and the single ventricle population? That's a great question. At this point in time, I see it being used acutely. Again, provided that our animal studies are promising. In children with primary mitochondriopathies, these drugs have been used as an infusion in the hospital, and they've been shown to be beneficial for even three months out, showing that they have decreased circulating markers of oxidative stress for even three months after the injection. So I think it would be very interesting to consider using it almost as an outpatient therapy, but I think we need to do a lot more work before we jump to that. Uh, I see. I see. Great. Thank you for sharing. Is there anything else you'd like to add about your study or get out to the PCICS community? Thank you. I think that should be good. (laughs) Great. Thank you again, Dr. Eddie, for speaking with me today. We enjoyed having you on our podcast. To all our listeners, thank you for listening to the PCICS podcast. Please don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Please visit our website, PCICS.org, where you can find more information about how to become a member and enjoy updated information on educational resources, meetings, job listings, and much more. The song, I Don't Know, by Grapes, is used under a Creative Commons 3.0 attribution.